Welcome to the T-Hud Popcast. I'm Leland Steele. I'm Moby. And I'm Aaron. Yes, welcome uh, Aaron. Uh, Aaron Hempler is here today. Uh, Aaron has the unfortunate distinction of being my first ever best friend. And uh, we've just kind of, I think I found him on Facebook a few years ago or something like that. I uh, haven't actually seen him in about 24 years until about uh, five minutes ago. Um, so it's <laughs> kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, his voice is slightly different than uh, I think it was grade six or grade eight, which was the last time. So you know, Grown up a little bit since then. Just, yeah. just, just a little. <laughs> you as well, though. You as well. <laughs> Me as well. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I got a hilarious story. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'll bring it up on air, but, um, you know, I, I guess I'm still a little, little pudgy, but I used to be way pudgier. And your dad gave me the hardest time for that when I was a kid. Really? I got a story. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, That's good. No, it's, it, it, was, <laughs> it was so funny when I think about it nowadays. But uh, we listener, Aaron, we, we only have one listener, as we call it. So we, we just call our listener, listener singular. Uh, it's how we refer to listener. It's how we refine that very personalized listening experience <laughs> with our listener. Nice. <laughs> uh, so, so listener, uh, Aaron is involved in uh, 3D modeling. Um, actually, one of the models that he worked on was on a Magic the Gathering card that I immediately bought for foil versions of. Um, so some pretty cool stuff, not like another uh, or other guests that we've had on the past. Uh, so one of our segments today, we're actually going to discuss with Aaron how 3D modeling isn't just modeling. It's a whole system. It's an architecture. And he'll he'll get into that. Uh, that's awesome. So uh, thanks for joining us. It should be should be a good show here. But let's uh, let's jump into our banter section banter segment. Um, let's start with you, Leland. Do you have anything you want to bring up? I do. I do. And, uh, I'm, you know, it seems like every episode that drops, uh, I might be able to talk about a new Marvel themed board game, <laughs> a re-theme because I have another one. Great. So, uh, this is Marvel Villainous, which is a re-theme of Disney Villainous, which is, Villainous is is a, a board game in which you get to play Disney villains. And each villain, you know, the core box comes with, I think it was five villains. Each villain has their own unique deck of cards and their own unique kind of, uh, what do they call it, a realm board. And basically, they you, you move around your, your realm board taking the specific actions to further your unique win condition. Of course, every villain wins in their own way. But uh, now there is a Marvel version of that. The villains included in the Marvel are Thanos, Hela, Ultron, Killmonger, and Taskmaster. And it looks cool. I don't know. I, have, I, have, I haven't actually played Villainous, which is I really would like to. And it's kind of been touted as a little, little bit more advanced than kind of your entry-level beginner into the hobby kind of thing. But people really dig it. People think it's really cool. I mean, you know, people go fucking crazy for Disney too, right? Mm. Oh, yeah. So, like, the first version of this game was this, like, you know, Lion King trying to kill Princess Ariel or some shit? Uh, so, in the original, the, the base game has Captain Hook, Jafar, Maleficent, Prince John, Queen of Hearts, and Ursula. There have been three expansions for Disney villains, which include uh, the Evil Queen, Hades... 
Dr. Facilier, Scar, Imza, Radigan, Cruella DeVille, Mother Gothel, and Pete. So, obviously, with Marvel, it's, like, ripe for more expansions, right? They're just going to expand the shit out of this. So what's the point of the game? How do you play? Well, you so you have your each each villain has their own unique deck of cards, and through those cards, they'll f- somehow help you achieve your win condition. And mm. I don't really know what like I think um, like say Captain Hook's win condition, for instance, is to kill Peter Pan to get rid of Peter Pan. And I guess in his deck, there's probably a Peter Pan card or something. I don't know. Again, I haven't really played Villainous itself. But it's really on your on your board. I think there's th- four or five maybe like action spaces, and you move your little representative pawn of yourself to one of these action spaces, then collect resources that you can then trade in for other actions. And on subsequent rounds, you move your pawn to a different space. So you're always taking. You can never do the same thing twice in a row, right? There's there's much more to it. That's very very basic explanation of it. Uh, but people go people go crazy for it. I know Disney and Marvel, it's all huge and it all sells really well. But another Marvel retheme so in the board game sphere, so I'm just wondering how much of a trend this is going to continue to be. Because last episode, I think we talked about uh, Marvel Splendor, so not surprising. Okay, I mean, it sounds fun if you buy it. I mean, I'm not going to spend any money on helping you get it, but if you bought it, I'd try it. So Yeah, it's a pretty good <laughs> price point, too, honestly. The usual. That's pretty sweet. Um, well, I got a couple. One I want to bring up for sure. Now, you guys, we've talked about it on the show. Aaron, I don't know how much you're into movies. Have you heard of what's called the Schneider, the, the Schneider Cut of um, Justice League, the movie? Uh, the Schneider Cut. No, I haven't heard that. So basically, Zack Schneider was going to be the original director of the uh, movie Justice League. Of course, you know, Batman, Wonder Woman, everything like that. Um, but partway through, I think, Leland, do you remember did his daughter commit suicide or something like that or got sick or something happened? Yeah, I believe she committed suicide, yeah. Yeah. So Zack Snyder then had to leave the the directing duties and Joss Whedon, he of Avengers and the whole Marvel saga fame took over. But, you know, his movie was kind of considered not great and people always believe they would say on the internet and on twitter and whatever that this uh secret like snyder cut either exists or that Zack snyder should be brought back and make it again like make it what he originally wanted it to be and after fans just like pressured and pressured he got permission to to make it so it comes out next year but my comment isn't on that but this is big news this whole snyder cut thing but now people hear, <laughs> this is the news, people heard there's a three-hour cut in a Hollywood vault of Batman Forever by Joel Schumacher that they wanted. <laughs> and who wants three hours of Tommy Lee Jones in Val Kilmer in Batman Forever? I don't oh, even know no. what they would film. Like, what would, you, what would you have on film for three hours from that? Uh. In the Crystal Crystal Donald's in that one, is he? Is yeah, the, is that the one? <laughs> I think that's the first. That's the first one with him in it. Or? That's what he was robbing. I, I think, think he. Right? Yeah, I think he plays a small part in that one, though. It's been yeah. years since I've seen it. And the next one is the one where they have bat nipples, you know, on it. Yeah, with Chloe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Schwarzenegger. Just, oh God, that was the worst. 
like what's going to happen? Like, you know, the, the movie, the room, are we going to find out there's like the secret Wiseau cut of the room or something that's four <laughs> hours long. And they're going to show that. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I thought it was kind of funny that people are pandering for this like D list movie to get a three hour release. So it's a novelty, right? It's the novelty of it. That's right. I mean, the, they'll just get an extra hour of Tommy Lee Jones picking up this bag of coins that Batman dropped. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for his fucking coin. <laughs> so oh, stupid. It's like, I feel my brain cells dying even talking about this. Honestly, one, so that whatever vault that film is in needs to be cemented up and sealed forever. That <laughs> never needs to come out. <laughs> Just like, you know, throw some nuclear waste in it at the same time. You know, just kill two birds with one stone and seal it up. There you go. Aaron, anything you want to shoot the shit there in the world of media? I don't know. I didn't really think about it. Eh, that's okay. You're about as prepared as Leland is for every show. So. <laughs> True. Maybe a little more so, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> in that case, I'll... I'll uh, I mean, I almost wonder if I want to, like, regale an, an Aaron and me story as filler okay maybe i will okay here here's a good one so it was my grade five birthday and i i always like was someone that wanted to especially as i became a teenager like i want all my friends to go like paintballing for a birthday or do something like this but my grade five birthday kicked it off where i wanted to have a giant water gun fight yeah i remember that (laughs) i i had water guns and and you know aaron was there um bunch of friends were there we like made teams it was pretty fun until my other really good friend, Joel, took his water gun and smashed it over Aaron's fucking head and I th- and like broke it in half. And, you know, the poor kid starts crying. My mom gets really mad at Joel. And it's it just basically ruined the whole birthday because then Joel sat in another room because all the boys hated him. And he started crying. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, oh, man. I just remember that. I don't remember it being me getting off the hook that easily. Like... It was my, my, uh, what I remember of that was, um, I thought Joel was a bit of a pain in the ass, but you know, like it was just kids, kids being kids. And, but he had an edge to him, like a, a thing about him that I was like, man, I kind of want to punch this guy in the face sometimes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but we were, but you're right. We were like a grade five. So it was just kid, you know, everybody, you wanted to beat everybody up at that age or you wanted to, you know, be a little uh shit disturber so anyways we were playing that we were water fighting out in the forest there and then i think that he was spraying and spraying and once he got you he wouldn't stop and like ha 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 he was just doing these things and so um i got kind of mad at him and i think that it turned into a bit of a fight and we started kind of hitting each other and then i was like man go fuck yourself or something like i got really mad (laughs) and i and i swore and i don't think it was cool to swear at that point we were too young and then um I kind of got in trouble, I think. I thought I got in trouble, but near the end of the night, though, this is kind of cool that I remember this, but I remember trying to smooth it over, even at that age, trying to smooth it over with them because we had a huge pillow fight, remember, like with yes. pillows and I, and me and him kind of teamed up and I was like, okay, cool. Like that was one of the first real experiences of like, I wanted to knock someone out, but then I was like, let's let's rebuild this for the sake of my friendship with Movi, so um yeah thought it was kind of neat i appreciate it buddy you're you're a you know played diplomat that night i felt pretty guilty about it 
that I <laughs> that I swore at your party. I felt really guilty about that. Well, see, I um <laughs> I was in another part. Like I I was having a battle near that part of the forest. I remember exactly where you guys had that thing, but I wasn't immediately involved in the action. So I came over. I think only right at the end. And you know, of course, as a kid, you know, it's not like you have taxes or care about war like real war or anything it's like oh a water gun fight and a kid swore this is like the biggest thing that's ever happened <laughs> yeah it was that was that's weird. funny i was gonna ask like well, i was gonna ask well what did aaron do to provoke that but you know what you're the smart one though aaron you the smart ones make so the only thing that gets witnessed is the crackback and then they get away <laughs> with Scott Free <laughs> to then sulk in their own guilt for another 48 hours. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's it. You know, the, this is quick and this isn't funny, but um, just a really small anecdote here. It, I was grade six. I remember it was grade six. And I get a call from Aaron. I even remember it was a Sunday. Like just seeing him is bringing back a flood of memories. Somehow I have your house memorized. Um, I remember your house. Did I ever tell, did I ever tell you the story that I had that sleepover at your house and your parents started doing it like five minutes after we went to bed and I had to go to the bathroom <laughs> and I crossed the, their door was open, like what? half open. And they started laughing. Both your parents were giggling. No way. And I was like, you can't wait five minutes. I mean, I guess they're in love at the time. Uh, but so the funny. anecdote was you called me on a Sunday and you're like, Moby, you, I have rented an N64 and I have Shadows of the Empire. And I came over and I spent all afternoon watching you play Shadows of the Empire, which was awesome. It blew my mind as like a nerd who loved Star Wars at that time. But I just remember, um, do you remember that chicken walker on like the second level? Like I was at your house for three hours. I think an hour and a half was you shooting the chicken walker in the leg with the laser, which took like an hour to kill it. It was just like <laughs> clicking, 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 clicking. And, uh, but I don't know, it's still fun as hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, funny. N64 was a good time in life, you know, like, it was like this epic moment. I remember that was from grade six to eight or something. I just played Mario 64, trying to get all 120 stars and get to the top of the castle and find Yoshi or find Princess. And yeah, I thought, I thought N64 was a pretty iconic moment in my life. So oh, yeah. it's good we got to share some of that. We did. We did. Good, good, good memories. Yeah, it was certainly was an improvement on your uh, Sega Genesis, though. We had it. We had some good uh, Golden Axe co-op back in the day. Oh, yeah. I remember that was a great Golden game. Axe. That was a great game. And that was co-op, too. That was pretty rare. Yeah, it was dope. Back in the day. So, you know what? My second banter was shit. It's not going to top some anecdotes. So, Leland, unless you got anything else, let's. No, uh, let's no, I just. Uh, I like listening to some of these stories, some of which I've probably heard from Obi, actually. So I'm actually meeting the infamous Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, guys? Maybe I will jump in and say something here because um, it's more about because you got me thinking about the board game stuff. And mm -hmm. and I, maybe like, I don't know, uh, Moby, I maybe called you like six months or I messaged you like six months ago or somewhere around there saying like, you like the war games, you like running an empire like running your navy and your your land forces and your air forces and building up and taking over land and i was i'm fascinated by all those types of games and so i have one that's huge it's a wicked board game it's sort of like a hybrid between um between risk 
where risk is like you take over huge pieces of land but the mechanics aren't that interesting you just sort of fight one way and fight another way it's yeah I don't know, it gets boring after a while and then the other type that's a little maybe a little bit more complicated but not so much about taking over everything might be um what's that really popular one axis and allies yeah yeah axis and allies so it's sort of like a kind of a hybrid between that because you take over mass amounts of land and you build massive militaries and and navies and all that stuff but the mechanics are fun where it's not so intense that you can't teach somebody without one round of playing. They would know how to play and it'd be very clear. So I thought that I remember messaging you a little while ago being like, you should come and play. But um, but you you still should. Like, we should get that fired up one time after. I guess that COVID's kind of done. But once we get that fire back up, I'll let you know and hopefully you can come and play. Yeah, dude. And I'm not like a COVID Nazi. So I'd come out when you're you and your buddies are comfortable or whatever. But like legit, I'm not just saying this because we're catching up, but I would absolutely come down and play it. And I remember that message. So what's the what's the name of it? It's called Attack. Okay. Not the most not the most unique name out there. Just Attack with exclamation mark. (laughs) Um, But yeah, really cool cool. game. I suggest uh, if you guys haven't heard of it, checking it out. Yeah. Great. Um, all right, let's move into our first segment. This is a hybrid segment. Moby has titled it, We Need More Polygons! <laughs> which th- nice. The reason in which Aaron is here to speak to the industry that is 3D modeling, right? Yeah, for sure. So uh, the modeling portion of the whole industry is um, sort of one part out of maybe 15 parts or so, depending on if you're in video games or visual effects or animation or commercials or feature films all those types of things and so modeling is definitely where i started so that's probably why it's quite familiar with uh moby just because earlier on after i got out of high school you know just figuring out what you want to do in life and you go through that one year of like what am i going to do and then so eventually i went back to bcit got into it and after my course um that's when i got into the modeling stuff so i was just making the characters and uh, texturing them, putting texturing and shaders, making the skin look like skin, you know, that type of thing. Um, and I did that in video games for about two or three years. But then I started to kind of branch out a little bit more because um, after video games started to dry up in Vancouver, um, they were kind of going out east. The visual effects grants got huge and there was tons of work out here. So, um, so I moved into more visual effects animation type work and switched into more lighting, compositing, rendering, all that type of stuff. So I started to hit, I kind of hit the first three in games, and then I started to hit another, uh, you know, you go a little bit down the pipeline over here, and I hit another three. And then uh, not long after, I always kind of wanted to become more technical. And I like the idea of the the guts of the softwares and the, the, the actual programming behind it all. So I started to kind of move from the more artistic area or kind of couple that artistic area with more what is called rigging. That's when you put the joints, like you put a joint in here and you're in your model. And then those joints will drive your models, the mesh of your model. And that's kind of how they start to come. So I was kind of like building that process where they all come together, right? So were those hard transitions to make kind of moving through these changes or it's, it's, I mean, it's all kind of, under some umbrella, obviously, right? But still quite sound very distinct between the th- these all these different aspects. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So like each one of them, um, I was maybe focused in for three to four years. And it takes, wow, okay. it takes about that much time from each spot when you go to get used to it, to make a whole bunch of mistakes, to learn from those mistakes, to mm -hmm. listen to your seniors and your supervisors, uh, to gain best practices, to do a bunch of bad practices and then, and then come back and do it again and realize, oh, this is the right way to do it. And then you start kind of building that up to the point where you get pretty confident in it. And I'd say like three to four years in each sort of discipline um, group of disciplines because they're all kind of group um, was like a good timeline yeah cool cool now I mean you said you said so yourself you, you you've moved kind of away from the artistic side but so do you consider yourself to be like a 3d artist for sure yeah so like so that's kind of where things started to change a bit is um, when I started to move into the rigging area it was a little bit you're still artistic but it was a little bit more like uh, very technical and lots of programming. So that's where my programming experience started to really go up. And then as I developed that sort of uh, skill set, I kind of had most of them. And then that's when I started to move up in seniority. So I started to become like lead and supervisor and um, a CG supervisor, which is like the guy that oversees all of the department supervisors. And so you kind of oh. have to know each one. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you absolutely do have to have your pie in every thumb or th <laughs> your, yeah, you have to have your pie, pie in every thumb, thumb to yeah. figure that one out. <laughs> yeah, you know, nice. that's the way it is. So, and then eventually now I kind of, and so now I'm moving into more, I guess I'm getting to that point, but I, now I'm more in, um, I'm like head of studio and head of pipeline and, and sort of head of CG now. So I oversee kind of a lot of things, but I've also moved more into the financial area and um resourcing and inter uh, building team building and you know studio purchases and that type of thing but i find that f i find it fascinating and coupling that with a good strong programming background you can streamline a lot of broken processes and i find fixing broken things with code very fun so mm, okay and, and and there is still still within there's your art form still, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That brings up so many good questions to ask. I'm sure Please. Leland and I have a bunch. <laughs> um, so one I want to ask, I'm really interested in, you mentioned the rigging. And what I'm wondering is, do you actually, so you've got, um, you know, bones, bones, for the lack of a better term, and say a humanoid model, right? Or what would you call that? Bones? Yeah, you could, like we could call them joints, but uh, but yeah, exactly. Like you just put bones in them. Now, do you have to program the joints? So, for example, they can't make an unrealistic range of motion or anything like that. Mm, you can restrict the movement. So usually, you try to give your animators as much control as possible, even if the movement is kind of a broken movement. But um, but you'll still. Uh, you can still lock off axes. So if you would, if you don't want them to, like this can't actually transform forward and backwards, or right. this direction, right? It can only do this type of thing. It's it's like an only rotation thing, but but it can kind of go up and down. So we would want to give that control and still maybe allow them to move forward and back, even though it's it's not something that can really happen. And then once they, if the animators, which they tend to do, push it too far. Then they, you just kind of tell them to pull it back a little bit or 
you know, so it's just one, it's just one more piece of control that you can help fix like a crashing movement. So if the movement's really extreme, then it, you can then use that to type, try to fix it. You got all that, listener? The last 40, 45 seconds? I'm sure that's going to make a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's just that's awesome. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's no, because Aaron was showing us you with guys, his side. Uh, do you guys show the videos with this, or is it just the nope. No, oh, it shit. is just the audio. <laughs> oh, that, that, that's, that's totally fine. I mean, I was following. <laughs> I thought they could see. <laughs> that's all right. We're always oh. doing dances and crazy shit, because yeah. nobody can see. So, oh, when yeah. it's just Moby and I, usually I don't have pants on, so. That's why we don't, that's the real reason we don't put, don't put the video up. <laughs> Thank you for changing pace and, and making it suddenly awkward. Only for the guest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Leland, can you answer a question that does not involve a misdemeanor or like ask a question here, please? Well, I mean, there's, oh man, there's so much we could open up here. I actually just probably nothing that we need to get too into, but like, do, have you done, ever done any... Uh, creating models that would be specifically for like 3D printing. Have you done any stuff like that before? I haven't created um, a model specifically for that reason, but I, I love dinosaurs. Like that's one mm -hmm. of the one of my favorite things, and so one of my like little personal projects at home. And I've put him online. He's walking online. Like uh, I did. Like have you guys seen King Kong, the Peter Jackson in 2005 one? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's the V-Rex in there, and I, I love that T-Rex because um, the Jurassic Park T-Rex, his teeth were all perfectly aligned, and, you know, he looks pretty scary from when I remember him when I was a kid, but now I'm like, hey, it doesn't look that cool, I don't know. And then you look at the Peter Jackson one, you're like, big thorny teeth busting out the side of his, like, gums, and just a huge head, like... Uh, it's so cool. So, um, so I wanted to remake that one. So that's the like personal project I was doing, and I was gonna my goal on that one at the end of it, once I was totally done with it, was gonna be to three D print that one. So I know how to do it. I just yeah, yeah. I just haven't gotten there yet. So th so then is basically any of your models that you've created can just be like a straight shot adaption to being able to print it, or does does it still need to go through some type of process before it's like suitable to be printed? Uh, there's a software called ZBrush, and um, that's like a sculpting software. So okay. that's what we always use. That or that's the most popular one that everybody uses in the industry to to really sculpt out those shapes and get those fine details in there, or the or those overall shapes. Just it really it speeds your workflow up. Right. So um, you if you take your your asset into there and you set it up correctly in there. Then you can export out a file that a 3D printer would be able to read. Okay, cool. So it'd just be a it'd probably be a little bit of work, couple tutorials, and then you'd yeah. you'd know how to kind of get it in and set it up. And then the other thing would be probably maybe setting up like a dynamic sim on the character to see if it will buckle forward or buckle back or fall oh, back. Totally, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You might be top heavy or, totally. or you might need to build a base for it. And so you model up a, a cool looking base or something and then attach the feet to it. So there's a couple of things to th th uh, think about, but it'd be, it'd be fun. Yeah, that's cool. That's it really is cool. cool. So what are some cool projects, you know, be, be it under whatever, um, whether you managed or did the texturing or whatever, what are some cool projects you've got to work on through the years? Um, I think a lot of the coolest ones 
are from the current company I work at called Goldtooth. And they do, like I've always, uh, like I think everybody loves it, but the Blizzard cinematics were always like my favorite cinematics. And when going, even going through high school, I was always like, that's super cool, uh, Diablo 2. And then getting out and going into college for it, I was like, I want to make, I want to make a two minute trailer that's like Blizzard quality and and cool characters like that. So Goldtooth does that type of work. Like um, we we don't have the budget that Blizzard has. They have massive budgets and that's all funded internally because of all the projects they have. But we do get like we do get some really cool projects and um, some notable ones are it was a game a game called Dauntless that was a really fun. Um, uh, it's been out or it's already out or it's still out but I, I don't really play those types that much but that was a really fun one there's cool creatures in there and lots of lots of really cool stuff going on other ones we work on a yearly trailer called uh marvel contest champions okay it's okay. like uh it's a phone game that I'll, i guess a lot of people are into sort of like a mortal Kombat style battle i think and and each hero sort of has their own power so when I first started at Goldtooth, we did season three of that, and it was pretty much just a, a trailer of Thanos like beating the shit out of everybody, and <laughs> it was pretty good. So that that was really fun to do. And we do one of those That's every cool. year. Like we're working on season six, uh, or hopefully season six coming up because it's about that time. But we're finishing up season five for them, and we do lots of Marvel stuff actually. Hmm. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. Hot yeah. commodity. Yeah, exactly. Like you were mentioning earlier, like they turn a game into the Marvel game and yeah. they'll make billions off that. And same thing, every, every game company that wants to make a phone game, say it's a Marvel game and you'll make billions off it, right? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you at some point um, helped model or texture, supervise um, one of Leland's most passionate franchises, Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh yeah, that is <laughs> okay. I did yeah, that's part of that. That's right. <laughs> Back in the day, when you were working on that, because I kind of grew up with that too. What what uh, what role were you in when you were involved with that? So that was when I started to move into the animation area from video games, and um, I was starting off in like lighting and compositing in that one. So more the the back end of the process, but it was more lighting, compositing, rendering, and a little bit of environments work, but mainly just those areas. Now, lighting to me, and I could be completely wrong here because I don't know how the software works or how intuitive it is. It would appear to be something that's really difficult and painstaking. Is that true? Or is that false? Mm. When I first started out, yeah, it was pretty tough. It's just a lot of like a lot of settings. And knowing how to tweak those settings to get the right result can be like a bit tricky, right? So if you do lots of, one thing is just if you kind of challenge yourself at home and on the weekend, you do like a four to eight hour project just to try to uh, have fun with it, like make a room with light coming in and see, understand how bounces work off the walls, right? Because you can tell it to bounce once or you can say bounce twice, but of course that that will start taking your render times up or you can tell mm. it to bounce three times. And then, so you're just controlling how light moves and, and sometimes you might want to fake it. So maybe 
maybe you want one real bounce and then from there you make another light against that other wall and you simulate simulate uh a secondary bounce or you know uh, um the third or fourth bounces of a light and then that's kind of a cheaper way to get the right look so it's more about just understanding all the settings and then eventually understanding kind of all the tricks but lighting's definitely if i if i was going to say modeling or texturing or uh rigging or anything like that lighting and compositing is my favorite for sure hmm. oh cool yeah super cool spot that's awesome yeah yeah i'm glad i'm glad you brought that up because yeah you you never you never really think about that the only time i had heard that it was um a lot about lighting and, and 3d modeling was in regards to that first transformers movie back in 2006 a lot of people i read some things about how difficult it was to light the robots with all their different uh geometry there yeah it was probably really heavy like like that's the thing when you have lots of different pieces and if you do have light hitting here and it and it's every surface is its own kind of thing, right? So if you bounce off this surface and then you bounce off that surface and this one and this one, then the calculations to get those photoreal results are immense. And before you know it, you're looking at a 24-hour turnaround to just see your result rather than maybe a 15-minute turnaround. So that's probably what they're referring to is like the, the amount of computation time that needs to go into it to get the result that you're hoping to get. Wow. Man, that's those bonkers. rendering times are insane. I've got a note about that for later. Some of them are pretty insane. <laughs> my wife was blown away when we went to uh, Science World and there was a whole Pixar exhibit. Pixar did, I think it was Pixar. They were showing, um, what's that show with the moods? Everybody has a mood and they. Inside Out. There you go. Inside Out. That's the one. Yeah. Um, so they, I think they showed how they lit some of the rooms, like they actually took people through the whole process. And you, yeah. and it was like a big area where you could walk to this exhibit and this one and this one, and you'd go down the pipe. Um, you start off in concept or script and then concept and modeling and texturing and surfacing and this and that. And so my wife got to learn it all. And at the end, she was looking at it. She's like, 16 hours per frame? And I'm like, yeah, and there was 200 frames in it. So they had to render, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours to get version one and then probably realized that it didn't look good enough. And the art director's like, I want better. I want this chain. This light needs to move over here, this light over here. And you're like, shit. All right. Well, there's another thousand, uh, thousand hours of rendering going in. So it was cool. She liked it. Yeah, it sounds like a it's nightmare. just really mind blowing. <laughs> it can be, yeah. Well, I mean, that's like so funny in in so many like endeavors like this, like uh, how uh, how an element can be so important and is only ever recognized when it's done poorly. Ah, uh, yeah. And just and when it when it's done perfectly, it's just like nearly not even like never touched on or mentioned. Like just because it is like it's so it's done so well and it, and is so impactful to what. Especially anything visual, right? Like I, lighting is everything, and in, in same like cinematography and mm -hmm. uh, photos as well, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's cool that that's your favorite part. I think. So okay, so these crazy render times, like how uh, you've been doing this for a number of years now. What type of like hardware and software progression that the industry uses have you seen? Kind of thing. Like, are there have there been good enough advances to like you know 
shy, shave off like hours and hours through some of these processes? Mm-hmm. And are the techniques getting more and more advanced, which just kind of counter counteracts all of the like the hardware and updates? You know what you know what I mean? Like just yeah. as 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 you get more and more proficient at it, and yeah, maybe you can cut down on your workflow, but it certainly sounds like what people are clamoring for, like the these Transformer movies and stuff, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, it's what people want and what they're almost set to expect. These expectations seem to be getting so high. Hmm. Like, so what, 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 I mean, I just kind of blew up that simple question I was asking you, but <laughs> as I want no, I to do. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. Uh, no, I hear you. Like, like technology's got to keep up, right? If we're going to keep, mm-hmm. if we're going to keep pushing the bar and it totally does, it keeps getting better and better every year. Uh, every few months, it feels like. And so like the softwares that we use have come a long way and those are getting more powerful with more features, allowing us to do more things. Uh, the end result that you're looking at is due to the rendering engines and the way that they compute, uh, they compute the bouncing of light or the way that they just calculate everything that goes into that. The samples and the samples in the dark areas or the light areas are just the type of control that they can give an artist to get that high-end result at a more efficient cost. As well, they're always working on the algorithms within there to be able to to get the results. So if one year you were working on something and it took an hour to render, then that same scene this year, if you just update all the shaders and update the rendering version one to version two kind of thing, then you might go down to 45 minutes just by default, right? So that's mm-hmm. like always an inherent savings just because of updating softwares. Um, when you're looking at hardware though, this is probably like you guys are probably doing lots of editing and you guys work with sound all the time. Like you guys are mm-hmm. familiar with all that stuff. And so this is also an, a huge area where I love doing, like I got three workstations here. I got my render farm, I've got my server and I've got my workstation. And more recently, the hardware that's pushing the boundaries is the Threadripper CPUs, which maybe you guys have heard of, but they're freaking tanks. Like they're smoking uh, Intel these days with the amount of cores that they can pack into the CPU per cost. So we're looking at doing a huge upgrade in the studio right now where we can get a 24 core 48 thread Threadripper or AMD CPU in our machines. And just that alone will maximize our render capacity that we could put through the farm. Also, it allows our look dev artists when they hit that render button at their desks, they're working on a six core machine now, but if we give them 24 cores oh my goodness. and they're spinning at four gigahertz per core, it's like yeah. uh, just Intel can barely keep up with a six core. So, so like when I, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like software is one thing, but then the hardware is also uh, getting insanely um, yeah, powerful yeah, yeah. these days and then also uh the gpu stuff which is also becoming a, a pretty big deal and all the rendering engines which they they didn't used to be able to do what a cpu farm might be able to do they're still a little bit behind but uh once gpu farms are 100 percent capable of doing what cpu farms can do then you'll probably like when it comes to visual effects you'll probably see even more of that stuff happening uh, which is sort of, um, you can see it happening with what's the main engine, the game engine that's huge, Unreal. And Unreal is just everywhere. You see it, it looks photo real. And that's all in-game working with a GPU. So And some CPU stuff, like there is CPU stuff behind it. 
but hardware is a really big deal, software, and then I guess just the techniques, like the, the programming behind everything, the new tools that are coming out to help speed you up, speed up workflow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna. It was gonna. It was my next question. Was like, with all of the advance, like, does that also uh, keep you always learning? Right? Does that also increase the learning curve throughout even someone's career as well? Right? Mm-hmm. Are you, you're. I kind of almost. It sounds like akin to like a medical profession where you always got to be up on the current methods, kind of thing. Oh yeah, and, and like I also just. This type of work is actually my hobby. So I, right. I love gaming. I love coming home and programming. I also love working on visual effects stuff. So I recommend anybody that has that sort of passion and likes doing that to get into this industry or any job for that matter. If you love building houses, then you should become a carpenter and, and or find out which field you like the most. Maybe go through them all, find out which one you like the most and get into it because you love it because that's... I'm excited to go to work every day, right? Like, and it's mm-hmm. also on the weekends. I'm excited to come home and work on my dinosaur, or work on. Uh, <laughs> I, I love the World War II stuff, so I want to work on like cool, a cool dogfight over Britain or something like this, like with the the attack, you know, like nice. like all that stuff is cool. I love Vietnam type stuff. Like, I'm maybe not love it like for what it is, but there's just a lot of really interesting imagery and stuff like that so i come home and i want to make a short film about vietnam or something like this so being inspired to kind of do all that stuff and just keep kind of pushing the boundaries is always a always a cool thing yeah yeah that is cool and would you say i mean obviously the our listener is in the vancouver area is it still a good place in general to work like there's lots of studios out here for the kind of things that you're doing yeah totally um although montreal is booming right now like like they, I don't know, they're, they're grants. You know what? That's that's how Vancouver became like Hollywood North is because, and it's still huge. Like we probably have maybe 100 to 200 studios here in Vancouver that do either games, VFX or commercials, maybe even more. And a lot of them are huge studios. But more recently in the last year, we've been seeing uh, some of the bigger ones shut down. And they're mm. uh, closing their Vancouver office and moving to Montreal. I, I don't know this 100%, but I know that Vancouver's grants roughly are around 30%-ish kind of thing. So the best way to put that into perspective is if you pay someone 100k a year, then it, at the end of the year, you get 30,000 back kind of thing, right? So it's like, that's kind of, right. that's not a bad deal. Like, I could hire some pretty rock star people and pay them well, like like out of my pocket and get a whole bunch of cash back so but the thing is is montreal i think has gone to more of a 45 to 50 percent grant so when it wow when it's that big and you're an american brand that you're you're opening up in canada it makes total sense because in the end if that's the grant that you're getting you're kind of paying maybe like thirty-five thousand a year for a hundred thousand dollar person just because the conversion wow. of the dollar yeah absolutely right like it's totally worth Man. it to move so so, so these these grants, there, it's just like a stimulus for the industry. Is yeah, that essentially, what it is. That's totally what it is. It just okay. It just pushes the companies to whatever that city is. So the city needs to commit to the idea because who's going to open up shop for a one year grant? Right? It's like fuck that. I'm just going to stay where I am and keep doing what I'm doing. But right. but if they if they're like a 10, 20 year grant where it's going to be uh, spaced out over time, which Vancouver did. I don't know. I think it it's been going down a little bit. 
But if they make that commitment to studios, then why not open a $25 million studio in another city? Fuck it, right? Like, I can still get the same yeah. talent out there. I might as well do it. Yeah, that's that's interesting, man. I had no clue. So much of this is so enlightening. I had no clue about the grant system and yeah. and uh, Montreal, and that's awesome. Yeah, I wish my work got a 50% grant and could pump up my salary by half. That would be nice. <laughs> Great, huh? Yeah, it would be. That'd be a sweet deal. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. You know, I don't... We've been talking all the technical stuff, and I don't even know. Aaron, Aaron mentioned that you know one of his favorite things is dinosaurs, and he's working on his dinosaur model. Leland, I was just wondering, like, over the years, has any particular model in a video game or movie kind of stuck out to you, where you were like, "Wow, this is awesome"? Um, any sort of computer-generated thing, uh, character that just blew oh, your mind? That's a good question. I don't know off the top of my I mean, I'm just kind of going over what kind of artwork I have on my walls from video games. And obviously, I uh, just adore uh, the model for Kratos from God of War series. Mm. But I also really love the big daddies from Bioshock. Mm. They're just so cool and so, like, rustic and... They almost look kind of ancient mm-hmm. in these these antiquated suits. And obviously, that's a lot to do with the setting of the game as well, right? But oh, that's a good question. I wish you would give me more time, more time to think about that. But <laughs> Well, you know, it was in the skeleton notes I sent out three days ago. So <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so it was. Back to that whole episode <laughs> prep you keep telling me to do. <laughs> We're on episode, I think, 57. Give it another 50. It might may sink in. Maybe. So. <laughs> Uh, Aaron, do you have any particular models that, say, someone else has built that just, like, blew your mind? And you could even just be, like, CG from a movie. Like, you know, you saw this movie and it it kind of just blew you away. Hmm. I'll throw one at you. I'll just throw one at you because it involves compositing, which is I always felt that, for, especially for the movie being made in 1996, the blend of computer graphics models and uh, practical models in Independence Day so holds up that movie um so i thought that was really cool yeah that's one i haven't watched in a while it'd be nice to go back that's the one with will smith right that's right yeah that's right it's hard to tell in that what's physical and what's cgi and and i think that's you know good compositing of two different kinds of special effects um one that blew my mind is blade runner 2049 there's a scene at the end where they have a uh it's it's Rachel who is the replicant that Harrison Ford's character fell in love with. They made a copy of her, but of course the original actress couldn't play her because the copy of her is at her 1982 age. But they didn't rotoscope her or do any sort of uh, digital makeup or anything like that, like Gollum was. Um, but they uh, basically built this model over from scratch, and it took them like a year to correctly animate it. And I think it's one of the closest, even though it's a brief scene, it's one of the closest to cross the uncanny valley for me. I think that that's something that you've been seeing a little bit more lately of is, um, and that's actually a great thing to talk about. Like there's, there's been huge, huge uh, steps forward, like in the entire career or in the entire lifetime of like VFX, visual effects stuff, you see them always make big leaps every couple of years. And more recently, um, I thought he was an awesome dude. Do you, uh, Paul Walker, like he was a good, um, mm-hmm. he was a good dude. Like 
is he had a good heart and he cared about a lot of people and he was he wasn't a he, you could tell like even in his personal life he wasn't a scumbag he wasn't like he's you know good looking guy had living the life like you know but he was still very real and totally respected that about him but of course he passed away and they needed to make that they needed to continue the, the movie but even working in the industry like I could barely tell where the CG him is yeah. and where the real him is. And I was like, holy shit, these guys killed it. Like, and mm-hmm. I, I had to actually go online and start digging around and try to find it because insanely good. Like the lot, the eyes are always really tough part to hit. Um, there's so much life in an eye and you start realizing it when you're actually making it in 3d, you're like, why does this character feel dead? You know, like there's a problem with it. And, and the skin, yeah, because there's a lot of different hot and cold zones and face and the blood zones and all those things. So it's, you could tell from that, but the eye is also a really tough place to hit. Um, they did a good job there. And then another one that was uh, that was really impressive was the Irishman. Yes. Which was like uh, all those younger models of them. Uh, I thought they did it with like makeup or something. I'm like, how did you guys mm-hmm. do that with Joe Pesci? Like, there's no, there's no way. And later on found out that they were just remaking the, these guys and doing them in CG. And I'm like, shit, man, these guys killed it. Whoever made this, respect. That's a really good pull, that, that movie. That was really good. And I had the same feeling that you did. I was like, where's the CGI? Like, like it's makeup because I'm supposed to notice when it becomes CGI, right? Ah. But you didn't. Yep. And... I don't know if you can answer this. This is one of the questions I had for you is, is AI already playing a role in modeling, compositing, lighting, artificial intelligence? Because where I'm coming at this is deep fakes. There's something that I think are starting to cross the uncanny valley, but I don't know if that's just a toy or if that's actually getting involved in the industry. Uh, the defects, that's like where they're putting faces on something else and actually yes. looks really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't actually know how they're doing that. I haven't kind of gone into um too much research, but I assume that they have a 3D model of a face and maybe they 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 blend it in on the sides. I'm not sure exactly. Do you know what they're actually doing with that? Yeah, I I can actually tell you what they'll do. So say for example, you've got um you want to put Harrison Ford's face on someone. I'll send you a link. Um huh. I don't know, it might not be your thing, but there's one that does a really good uh George Lucas like impression, deep fake. It's it looks exactly like him and he just says stupid shit and there's one with Harrison Ford, it's really good. Um but what they'll do, they'll basically um trim out a part of the actor's face that they're going to put the deep fake on. And that uses software. But then what the AI does is you you film and the actor's just doing his normal facial movements. But then when you run it through the deep fake program, that AI will either go to a really big, fi- like a file that has thousands of images of the actor's face, or you can just plug it into the internet and it'll browse for like all the pictures of Harrison Ford that it can find. Oh. And what the the AI will do is it'll just spend all its time trying to match a photo of Harrison Ford to the actor's facial uh, expression in that frame. And the longer you run the AI on that cycle, the more realistic it gets because it can scan more pictures, spend more time to find a perfect position for that face in that moment. It's crazy. 
It's it's crazy stuff, and it just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. And so if AI is not involved in your day-to-day uh, operations just yet, I'd say wait wait a decade and see what technology it's you know introduced. Yeah, the, the only part where maybe it's not really, it's more just technology at this point, like doing the job that it's been programmed to do in my industry, but but there probably will come a time where modeling, like actually modeling and meshing a character will be a little bit more automated, maybe from like an AI type standpoint where it can just kind of be done. You just maybe give, maybe you could tell it like 10 different models. These are the examples that I'm looking for. And kind of like this deep fake thing, it goes and finds like every different angle of that, those models and then tries to make a blend and then uses that to construct a body or something like this. Like it sounds like something that probably somebody's working on right now, (laughs) you know, like those things are always happening, but no, we haven't, we don't have too much AI stuff going on. Not yet. Your job's still secure. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to (laughs) say, yeah, exactly. Leland, uh, anything else on your mind? Any questions to ask? Um, I don't think so. I just like, I'm still thinking about all the hardware and software, those, those cores, and now I am sure even though with like that jump from like six to 24 cores, like there's still always going to be that bottle, a bottleneck, right? Well, now the software needs to keep up with the core count, right? So like, right, like right, right, right. I think, I think Premiere, I don't, I don't think Premiere can go beyond maybe 24 cores or 16 cores or something. So yeah, even your encoding time might be something specific, but our, but our Maya program, when we're rendering the biggest core count right now is 64 core third threadripper which is a 128 thread uh cpu but our rendering engines can handle all those cores so that's why it's huge in the vfx industry to go more higher core count so we need we need to somehow make like update that saturday night live with will ferrell you know i gotta have more cowbell too i gotta have more cores i got a fever the prescription is only is more cores and you've got these like this animation studio just looking to pour cores everywhere they just got dumped out of a bucket or something they're all just dancing in the background with computers right it's like oh oh, we're slowing down the rendering time no more cores more cores shove them in I think that's awesome too, Aaron, that you have a a rendering like a a, a rendering farm at your house. You just kind of slip that in there. I I mean, Leland and I do too, but everybody has one these days, right? <laughs> Gotta have one, man. Yeah, it's the, the have, way of the future. That's that's funny. Yeah, I water water mine every day. Gotta keep them growing. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> well, you you have the uh, Intel core there, Leland, so you shut up. <laughs> I have the AMD because oh, yeah? uh, my buddy Joe recommended it to me. Uh, actually, that is true. My buddy Joe, um, who's always helped me pick my latest, my last two computers, my gaming computers, he's like, do not buy Intel. AMD is killing it. He basically said what you said. Yeah, great. Smart guy. Because me, I'm like so behind technology. I'm like, but didn't they suck in 2004? And he's like, dude, it's not 2004. You know, they didn't <laughs> they've done good, yeah. <laughs> The CPU area, they've done real good. But you know what, though? The lower core counts are great for gaming. So you don't need to get a, a $5,000 workstation to be a gamer. You just need 1000 bucks, and you can have a, a pretty kick, kick-ass machine. But when you're doing the higher core count stuff, which is where uh, the VFX industry is 100%, or if you're doing lots of editing, 
uh, lots of encoding and all that type of thing, then you're probably going to want uh, a higher core count workstation. Something to pump that up. One thing on this topic, I was going to say, because I know what my answer is, and I, I had to ask you guys a question now. Boom! Uh, <laughs> Do it. Um, on the 3D stuff, what is uh, what is the worst CG thing that you can remember that you can think of? If you can think of one, I want to see if because there's one that's just horrible, and I want to see if we link up with this with this answer. Oh man, yeah, I want to think of, that's a great question. I honestly wish I could go through my movie collection and have um, gone through some of that stuff. I mean. I haven't actually seen this movie, but Cats that came out is pr- is pretty famous <laughs> for like literally having human hands for the cats, and it's like, what the hell happened there? Did they did they lose money? I mean, I I, I don't want to bash the early stuff from like the early '90s because it was like they were trying, and in the 1980s they were trying to do it, even though a lot of it looked like crap. I mean, we're gonna talk just as an example. We're gonna talk, you know, Mortal Kombat, mm. and um, I think at some point. There's like a green lizard guy of he's not in it. And it just it looks like shit. Yeah. Was that the reptile reptile? Scene? Yeah, yeah, reptile. That's it. Reptile. Yeah. See, this is why we need to talk about it together. We'll remember all that stuff. The reptile. Yeah, he looked pretty bad. Um, that was 95. Yeah. Man, what was that? It was like a no-name movie. Like, it, it totally bombed. I think it was like maybe 2009 or something. Um, it wasn't Hercules, was it? I'm not going to be able to research live on air. But anyways, there is a... Uh, if I can't remember it, there's no point in talking about it. So why don't you shoot what you had on your mind? Because I'm sure we'll go, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, it was the Scorpion King in... Oh! Right? <laughs> of course. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I could say good things. Like, even Jurassic Park which was, was still holds up now, the first one, um, back in, I, I don't even remember when it came out, but even that still holds up, looks great. And this show probably came out like 10 years later, and it, it the model of the Scorpion King was just painful to look at. But that's like that's like a notorious worst. It really is, yeah. yeah. I can't believe that didn't come in me like <laughs> yeah. I thought of it earlier, and I'm like, I gotta share this. This is a good thing. It's a funny thing. No, that's that's really good. Um, actually, you know what, Aaron? I I Google because we're doing it live. I Googled just worst CGI in movies, and some good ones came up that I wish I had remembered. Um, I'm a huge James Bond fan, for example. I have all the movies, and uh, the 2002 James Bond movie Die Another Day, where he's like parasurfing in the Arctic. Oh shit! On- yes. Oh, that's brutal. And it cuts from close-ups on his face to far back out wide angles with him in front of a clear green screen like <laughs> um okay this list also has uh parent i haven't seen it but apparently in justice league um henry cavill couldn't shave his mustache for reshoots and it looks really bad when they cgi'd off his mustache yeah, that was not well done because because the they had a they brought him back when he was shooting mission impossible yeah, the big one they've got here, the, the 1997 when they introduced Jabba the Hutt into the Star Wars Special Edition, that that was really horrible. They've got Matrix Reloaded where Neo fights all the Agent Smiths and it, like the whole battle is CGI because there's like a million Agent Smiths. Mm. Um, so that's pretty bad. Scorpion King, is it on there? 
Scott. Oh, Scorpion King is like number one. Oh, okay, cool. But, but <laughs> okay, cool. no, no. But I, it's just like the other ones that are on this. They've got the jet uh, crashing in Air Force One at the end into the ocean. Yeah, I love Air Force One, but that was a terrible CGI <laughs> oh, that's, clip. That's that really kind of bad. Around. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and then they've got the Scorpion King. They say it's like the most egregious and offensive of all the CGI on this list. It says unforgivable. So, which you agree with? I uh, know it's that that that's awesome stuff. I, that was a really really good segment, and I love where that went. We have at least one pretty good anecdote just uh, about myself and Aaron's childhood for you, Leland. That I think you'll enjoy. Okay. This one. So it's time for movie musings. Uh, this one I've titled called "From Fingers to Film" because it's about uh, video game to movie adaptations, and one of the main memories I have at Aaron's house was watching Mortal Kombat, the legitimately awesome 1995 video game to film adaptation several times. I don't know, Aaron. I, I just loved it. And then we'd, you know, pretend we'll get into the quick and the dead in a minute, but we'd pretend like in your living room to fight and stuff. Oh, it's so good. Oh yeah. We had like, I don't know, uh, choreographed uh, fight scenes and like, we were so inspired. It was that song. Remember the song? That oh, yeah. I still listen to that. Like once a week, I'll, I'll you know, have a little <laughs> bit too much whiskey and it'll be like 12 a.m. And I'll be like, fuck it. I don't care that I'm 35. I'm playing the song. <laughs> and I'll just I'll just go. I, I remember. Um, So from that movie, there's that scene. I think it was the fight between um, Scorpion, Johnny Cage. It, yes, Johnny Cage. I was trying to remember Johnny Cage. And that was one of the ones we tried to choreograph. Oh, yeah. And I think I was Scorpion. I was trying to send out the Scorpions at you and you'd be Johnny Cage dodging. And we like actually had the movie on the TV to see if we could match it. Nice. <laughs> and it was a good was time. So yeah. Good. I wish they did more with Sub-Zero. Like he was, a, he was one of my favorites. And oh, yeah. he did the part where he had this, his belt or he did something and it made a big sphere of ice. And then he also threw one ice ball. But I wish they did more with him. Because I was always, he was always one of my favorites. It, it was good. It's somehow that movie just encapsulated what Mortal Kombat was. It had a very similar vibe to the the actual game series. And what's interesting, the game series, I don't think they bought it. They've started to rent the song from the movie to use in trailers and stuff now. And people are pushing for it to become the official theme song of all Mortal Kombat, oh, which true. I agree with. Like even if they even if they used that and just like remixed it each time and gave it its own twist, that'd be cool. Because that'd be because awesome. yeah, it is the song that makes me think Mortal Kombat takes me back for sure. I think you hit you hit the nail right on the head there, Mom, saying that it actually encapsulated the feel of the games. Because I think that's why these movie adaptations just never work because right. How can they ever manufacture the feelings that these games give you? Like it's just, it's just such a different medium. I don't think that they can really get it right. No. Not in general. There's a few I'll bring up uh, when we have time. There's a few I'll bring up that I think came close. But Aaron, there, I mean, we touched, of course, on Mortal Kombat because that was the inspiration. Um, other video game to movie adaptations you kind of like that you can remember. Hmm. There's like, there's like the Resident Evil series of which I like two of the six, for example. 
I thought. Again, on Leland's point backing me up on tone, I felt the very first Resident Evil movie had a had a tone that was closer to the games. I agree with that for sure. I definitely agree with that. That franchise though just like ballooned into its own thing and it totally marketing themselves just on the name alone, right? It it quickly became nothing like like the video game franchise. That was that was the one with the um that's the Umbrella Corporation, right? Underground. That's right. Yeah, the 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 first one I thought was really interesting. I thought that they did a pretty good job with that. So I agree with you guys, but afterwards, I don't know. Don't know why, but I just lost excitement over it. I was like, ah, I don't really care anymore. Like it didn't didn't and I and I I can't even tell you why. Maybe I'm not a naturally I'm not a huge like zombie scary type of film or movie type idea person but um but yeah no the first one was good for me that franchise just like all those entries after the first just blend together and i can't i couldn't tell you which one's which (laughs) yeah i actually like the fourth for some reason i think it was called afterlife or aftermath and it was just like a total filler movie they knew they were going to make money they knew where they they were going to make at least a fifth so it's a total kind of middle segment but for some reason, I like that. I also, I, I also like Silent Hill, the first Silent Hill I movie. I knew was that was going to be one of your pro lists for sure. I didn't like it at first. No, it was so disturbing to me, um, because I'm a huge fan of the Silent Hill video games, and they kind of touch on it being like a Christian cult, but like in the movie, they made it all out like a Christian cult. So having being raised, you know, in Christianity or whatever, like seeing, you know, this chick. Like in a church, suddenly it falls into hell and she's got like barbed wire coming out of her vag wrapping around her hospital bed. And it's like, you know, it's like, whoa, like that that movie went into deep shit. And I mean, even like there's the one monster that represents like a janitor that abused this little girl in a bathroom. And he's like crawling around on his belly wrapped in barbed wires. It was more intense than the games, um, but the atmosphere they definitely did nail for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Definitely. That's interesting. I I was like, uh, I'm not into horror films or scary films. Like, I just stay away from them because I don't want the thoughts. Just don't don't appreciate the thoughts. So, like, yeah, I still want them. Um, they're always interesting. So once you start watching them, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I just want to see what happens. But I just don't even get into it. And I played Silent Hill like a long time ago, maybe on like a PS3 or something. Or, or uh, it was it's an old game, right? And even yeah. then, I remember being scared, and I turned the game off. I was like, "I don't, I don't want to play this game. I'm gonna get bad <laughs> ideas." You might even know. did you play the games, Moby? Yeah, I did, and it's funny actually. Like you, the first game I played ever was Silent Hill Three. Um, I rented it with a buddy, and we did actually turn it off, even though we were in like grade eleven. Um, huh. What did we tell each other? We we said it it wore on us. That's how we said we weren't like necessarily scared. I'm like, is this wearing on you? And he's like, yes, it's wearing on me. Is it wearing on you? Like, yeah, just want to, you know, switch to Conan O'Brien. You need to laugh it out. We did did laugh it out. I mean, that was, uh, I remembered a scene that just happened in that game where it's like a mannequin, you walk by to grab a key and suddenly you grab the key, walk away, the mannequin screeches and it's like head falls off with like blood coming out of it. And when you haven't seen stuff like that, it's it's really creepy. Um, but I ended up actually, I ended up uh, buying. Well, no, I did not buy that game. 
Uh, one year for my birthday, Leland, who grew up on my street, invited me over, gave me his old PS2 and a plastic bag, and he had a huge wall of PS2 games, and he's like, fill the bag. So very nice of him. In Silent Hill 2 and 3, I were the first two that I filled in that uh, bag. So I have his. Silent Hill 4 I have from his, which I played half of. My favorite's actually called Silent Hill Shattered Memories that came out for the Nintendo Wii. It's one of my favorite games of all time, like number two all time, uh, where you fill out a bunch of psychological tests in the game, and it tries to play on your own fears and inadequacies, and there's no actual fighting. You can just run. Um, So it was really interesting, really interesting story, Um, but I digress. Yeah, so I'm definitely a fan of the Silent Hill franchise. The the scene I was thinking of was there's one where you're in the room and you look you're supposed to look out of like the door hole and then you see yeah. somebody walk up and then they're like oh I guess they're not here they walk away and then you you walk away and then when you come back the door is in chains and I was like holy, yeah holy shit now I'm done fuck this thing I'm not playing <laughs> that so that, that's that Silent Hill Four that's Silent Hill Four yeah I played that part. I mean, it's it's not going to be your thing, Aaron, because you're not into those kind of movies. But Silent Hill, um, the creator said 70% of it is based on a movie that came out in 1990 called Jacob's Ladder. And a lot of what's in the Silent Hill games, including Silent Hill 4, is ripped, ripped straight out of Jacob's Ladder, like verbatim, entire scene. So, yeah, that's kind of cool. But, yeah, Silent Hill 4 was really scary. And you turn it off, that's good, because there's unkillable ghosts and they're the creepiest ghosts in all of video games. They just kind of flop rag dolly and they just follow you around and they kind of hum. They don't even groan. They just kind of hum. All you can do, there's like 18 different ghosts and you get like three swords and you can pin them down, but you can never kill them. And you uh-huh. only have three swords to pin three of them down in a various area. Yeah, it's, it's scary as all get out. Sounds, sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> glad, glad I stopped playing. <laughs> it is, glad you stopped playing. Uh, the the one other good um, and and I've actually I'm looking at an entire list here, guys, of the uh, video game to film adaptations in chronological order. The first being Super Mario Brothers, which yep. was crap. Um, but uh, <laughs> okay, that this is gonna sound one, so yeah. bad. I like Detective Pikachu that came out last year. Oh, I know, I haven't even watched it yet. It was good, and it's one of the best rated on this list. I think it actually is number one. Um, it gives the Rotten Tomato scores for all of them. It is number one of every uh, video game to film adaptation ever done. Yeah, it, it, I, I really like that one. I got to buy that one. You guys probably aren't going to guess. Um, so, okay, so Detective Pikachu Rotten Tomatoes got uh, 69%, which is sparkling compared to most on the list, which seemed to average between about 4%. In 20 on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> but there's one that is so bad that I haven't seen that has a 1% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is Alone in the Dark from 2005, starring Christian Slater and Tara Reid. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bad one. <laughs> that's a very bad one. That's like one of the, you know, the epitome of video game adaptation cash-ins, right? Like, yeah, make whatever script they have and just slap a name on it. Kind of thing, I think that happens a lot with some of these adaptations. But you know, we're we're we've kind of been focusing on live action adaptations, which are always garbage. But I think where they hit more successes are in animated 
adaptations. Yes. Yes. Um, I think you can just evoke the kind of those similar feelings. I think um, just just you know the visual stimuli can can maybe match up a little closer to what you're experiencing as you're actually playing some of these games. Well, I find that when it comes to the animated adaptations, the best ones are foreign. Um, yeah. So I the first one I really liked was Final Fantasy Advent Children. That had amazing rendering in it for the time. Um, I don't know if either of you guys have seen that. No, I haven't. I remember when I first watched it and being like, what is this? Is this actually Final Fantasy? <laughs> because <laughs> it wasn't very Final Fantasy. At least not what I was familiar with. I guess. It, it's like a continuation of Final Fantasy VII. I never got into any of them. I don't even, I don't know much about that brand. But I know it's super popular. Well, and I hate to say it because I, I have to bring it up, but I mean, the the one really big animated film, or sorry, video game to film adaptation that was animated, the, that, that was a North American release is Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within from 2001, which was like egregiously expensive and bombed to the point that the company that made it, Square, had to merge with Enix to form oh, Square Enix. okay. Then that that's the one that I was thinking of. Avon Children is the good one, yes. Avon Children those is the good two. One, yeah. I mix those. Yeah, Spirits Within. Is, I remember watching that one for the first time and not knowing what it was trying to be or do. No, and it, like you said, it didn't feel Final Fantasy at all. It was kind of cool to look at, and there's these like phantom creatures, but it didn't have any Final Fantasy tropes except I think one guy's name was Sid, and there's usually someone uh, in all Final Fantasies yeah. named Sid. But, uh, yeah, definitely a bomb. Um, some of these didn't bomb. Angry Birds movie, it looks like it made a ton of money because Angry Birds, not a bomb. We've got a Mario movie, it looks like, coming out in 2022. Oh, really? Animated Mario. I was going to say, yeah. they had, like all the Mario movies, I'm a huge, I have Mario everywhere. In my, like, I got Mario carts, the RC carts everywhere. I got Mario collections. I got a Super Mario lamp. Like that's that's my jam, and um and I'm I, that's what I was gonna say. I'm disappointed about is that they haven't done anything awesome with Mario. And what I think they need to do is get away from this live action and just make like a total CG, but that's beautiful and colorful, and looks like Mario, not like a human character. Like you know, kind of like what they were trying to do with Sonic when they almost butchered Sonic, and yeah, then geez. they they brought him back to kind of what what you actually kind of thought was appealing you're like yeah it looks good good now but it could have been real bad for sonic oh yeah the cheat <laughs> oh yeah he was tough to look at i mean that that 90 what 93 super mario's brother was just a gong show the production just the whole way through it sounds like apparently uh hoskins and Legozamo would just get shit-faced in between takes because it was just such <laughs> such a shit such a shit show like yeah, they would just know. Like so, <laughs> they, they they wanted they like try for they got tried to get Danny DeVito in it for it he turned it down they tried to get Schwarzenegger to play Bowser he turned it down like Ooh. just like nothing good came of this this movie from the, from all accounts it just it didn't seem nothing seemed Mario like in it yeah yeah that's the thing I mean Mario back then you know that was the Super Nintendo era especially too as a two D side scroller. Like Aaron said, very colorful, kind of very distinct world. And suddenly you've got all this like gross 
fungus in this world and the Goombas are like giant, like jacked dudes with small heads, which makes no sense <laughs> because all Goombas were, were big heads with tiny legs. <laughs> it's like, how do you fuck that up? You know? Well, apparently the screenwriters were given free creative license by Nintendo. So that's how <laughs> this titular character gets screwed up. <laughs> Damn. That that is that is how it gets done. So that that's pretty screwed up. It's funny because Street Fighter also came out right around Mortal Kombat, and that is considered a bomb, along with most. Yeah, people. but you know, the, I mean, a lot of people say that uh, Raul Julia's performance is the highlight of that entire movie as M Bison. Yes, he was dying actually. He was. While he was filming that. Too, that was his last his last theatrical appearance. Huh. Yeah, he basically collapsed. Um, he had, you know, major cancer issues and basically collapsed and passed right after that. Oh, wow. So, which is pretty... pretty it was... Uh, yeah. Yeah, that movie sucked, but he was definitely the standout. I mean, it was so clear he was super excited for that role. I think um, I was reading that he was... He took it because he thought it was it would be a good chance to spend more time with his kids who loved the game. And, like, so he's got to spend a bunch of time with him to as they helped him prepare for the role of M. Bison too. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. I just wanted to bring up one that that's a guilty pleasure, even though I will, I, I the movie is defined as forgettable, but um, I did like Prince of Persia Sands of Time with Jake Gyllenhaal from uh, 2010. And that didn't bomb. It made like 350 million. Yeah. Um, but uh, that that's a good one. If it's ever on Netflix or something and you're looking for an adventure, you could do far worse. I don't remember that being standout. What, did you li- what do you like about it? Um, it felt like the game. I mean, just like what we're saying about the ones that are, are good is does it remind you or feel like the game? I think that's necessary. And, and the hardest part is to make it seem like the game. But someone who had beat Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, many times... Uh, yeah, it wasn't bad. All right, I suppose. I, I strongly disagree, but... Of course okay. you <laughs> <laughs> Just because they could actually reverse time means it feels like the video game? No, that's ridiculous. No, I, I mean, I think the costumes look good. I think the music was right. He did well, a lot of, course, of the kind of parkour. highly produced... He did a lot of the parkour, you know, the parkour is a huge part of Prince Yeah, okay, Persia. I mean, okay. I'll give you that one, I suppose. Yeah, I want to, you know, I got to bring it because I have to shoehorn this in somewhere. The the anecdote of where Mortal Kombat led Aaron and I, which is one of the biggest parts of our friendship when we were kids, the immortal trampoline game, The Quick and the Dead. Mm. And so what The Quick and the Dead consisted of is myself, my brother, and Aaron fighting on the trampoline at our house. Basically, like, kind of like shadow boxing fighting that we would grab each other and kind of do throws and stuff like that. But everybody had a special move. The problem is, I can't remember Aaron's special move. I can remember mine, and I can remember my brother's. I think I, unless I screwed up yours and my brother's, Chris had the one, it was the worst move in all of, like, fighting history, video game movie, whatever. He had Fly Birdie, right? Or was that you? <laughs> oh, I remember that. You, I was going to say, you remember the I'm fly not going to remember this, but yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, he'd come at you, he'd jump at you on the tram, he'd go, Fly Birdie, with his, like, hands, and you're like, what the hell is that? It somehow made sense as a kid. That's funny. And I had, so, I, I had something, I don't even know how he came up with this name. And it would, be, would have been the most devastating strike if I didn't make sure... I landed to the side, but my special move was called, I would call it the vertical half Nelson, 
where I'd bounce on the tramp, I'd go into like a cannonball, like if you're jumping in a pool like cannonball, like roll my knees up and try to go on someone's stomach. But I always made sure I just missed or just hit to the side because if you jump on a tramp and come right down on someone, like you, you know, you blow their intestines out their ass. <laughs> uh, luckily I missed. So now was this the trampoline before it had the ankle breaking trap in the middle of it? Oh yeah, it was before that. Because <laughs> I remember yes, going on that, that trampoline years after this has taken place and nearly dying multiple times on the rusty springs and the hole in the middle of it. Oh yeah, Aaron, that tramp, that that tramp wasn't what you remember by the time it, it kicked the bucket there. We, when Aaron was there, we actually had the blue pads on the outside, yep. so we were kind of safe. Oh wow! By the time uh, my era came around, we were way too drunk to be anywhere near a trampoline <laughs> and at risk of getting cut up by the razor wire that's surrounding it trying to keep kids off of it if you combined alcohol with the quick and the dead you just have the dead that's just the evolution of of that game i you know what i remember aaron's special move now and it may have not been the most creative special move but it was i think it was scorpions get over here he would go get over here and he'd have to run across the tramp so he could punch you. <laughs> pretty good move. Great, great. And I think you might have like cheated and comboed that sometimes with like Sub-Zero's freezing, if I remember. Oh, maybe. I was pretty inspired by those guys, so yeah. Sub-Zero will have his day! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a fun game. That trampoline, great times. When you're that was, kids, yeah. yeah. Me, you, Chris, just ripping it up. And, um, man, I'm trying to remember one of the last times I ever hang out with you. So you were actually one of the old, one of the oldest times I remember. I came over and you had like four Nerf guns wrapped around you. And I think you decided you wanted to be a SWAT leader. You either want to be a SWAT leader or program video games or something when you were older. But for some reason, I remember you had like five Nerf guns strapped on you. You're like, hey, I want to play Nerf guns. Come over for Nerf guns. Yeah, I was always into SWAT. That was uh, when I was like younger. That's always what I thought I would do or what I wanted to do. That or fly an F F-18s or at the time, I guess, F F-15s or F yeah. F-14s. No, that was during Top Gun. So Yeah. Yeah, we both wanted to be fighter pilots back in the day. Yeah. Maybe that was why we were friends. Did you... You can see if, you, if this doesn't jog your memory, but did we ever play... Well, we played we played the hell out of Soldier Blade for my TurboGrafx 16. I remember that. Oh, that, that was a little great side system. scrolling yeah. game. I remember that. I had Falcon though for that system as well. I don't know if I would have played that with you. It's kind of more simulation based. Oh, maybe not. But uh, Soldier Blade, we definitely played a lot of. Yeah. Uh, when you would come over, you're the only person that I ever known that had a TurboGrafx 16. And we used to play it a lot. I was like, this system's dope. I think it had Bomberman, didn't it? It did have Bomberman. Oh, which man. Was okay. Great. Do you know when I got my first job in video games, I worked on Bomberman Live, the like the newest or the one for Xbox 360 that came out. Oh, crazy. Yeah, I was doing like modeling, texturing, and that's where like making the Bombermans. And I was like, holy shit. And I don't, I don't think at the time I ever thought like, man, this is this is like my youth, but I remember loving the game and it was because we used to play it at your place all the time. Yeah. It was well, a dope game. You know what I haven't told you? Maybe I'll bring this out when I come over for attack. So our turbo graphics broke, but about uh, nine, 10 years ago, I bought one off eBay. Oh, nice. 
for 200 bucks, it had a bunch of games, but now Turbo Graphics, um, I mean, it always was kind of rare, but now it's like super rare and collectible. All the games except the crappy sports games are like 200 bucks or more just for the cartridge. And I, so, but before all that happened, I rebought Bomberman. So I have the Bomberman, you remember. Shit. I have, I bought Soldier Blade. I even paid like 150 for it, but now I can't even find it on eBay. I keep trying to check how much it's worth, but I bought Soldier Blade. I bought all my old games, Dead Moon, Shockman, Air Bonk or Air Zonk. But you know what I did though? And Leland knows because he's played with me. I also bought, when I bought the new Turbo Graphics, I bought the, um, the, I bought five controllers and they have a five controller adapter and you can play five person Bomberman battle. Wow. It is as legit as it sounds, but Leland is a glutton for punishment. He always wants the controller that goes to green Bomberman and all the other (laughs) Bomberman start random in their own corners and green Bomberman starts in the center where everyone tries to blow bombs (laughs) to get to him. And nobody wants Green Bomberman, oh, except Leland must it. have Green Bomberman. Oh, five-player Bomberman. So good. So good. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's amazing. It's so good. Yeah, no, that, that was cool. I mean, video game to film adaptations, I guess it's time to, to wrap this thing up, because uh, I don't know what else we can say about it. But um, yeah, it's sad. I mean, we've had like basically 30 years since they've started doing these things. There's only a few that are tolerable. And maybe one or two that are we would call good. Um, so I think we're all in agreement. Hopefully, the Mario movie we're we're pushing for that to be uh, to be decent. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a sorry state of the industry right now with that. Just seeing how ridiculously poorly received so many of those uh, those adaptations are. Anyways, uh, Leland, want to maybe kick the end of show stuff? Uh well, if there's anything that Aaron wants to to, to plug, first. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually have nothing. I don't. Uh, I'm not a plugger. Well, no, no, you're not a plugger. You're not a plugger. <laughs> but um, like, uh, okay, so do you have like any site where, say, like DeviantArt, where people can see your T Rex or anything? Do you have anything like that? Oh, um, you would just if you want to actually see it, you would just I ha- I put it on YouTube a long time ago. You just have to search a name, but it's it's probably like V Rex Walk Cycle. Okay, and then if you just uh google that or something i'm sure you could find it it's cool it's it's i got a couple versions up but i did it like six years ago and uh yeah and then i and then i have my own website aaronhempler.com so that's got some stuff but i haven't updated it for probably as well like six or seven years so it's a little bit older and what else i don't know i think i think the company that i work for is really cool so if people actually want to go and look at a really cool thing and and get more familiar with what we were talking about then just goldtooth.com is is a great site and it has lots of really cool projects and yeah if people are ever inspired by it that are listening and they want to learn more that i'm always happy to help people because i think that uh the industry is it like the people in the industry are are different than anywhere else that i've been there's they're not selfish they're not entitled but not greedy they're not they're always very considerate they're always kind of like got a bit of a nerdy edge to them kind of thing but but i mean that not in like a cool way like i i feel like i've become that over since high school over my years like i'm still me 
but I kind of got like a nerdy edge to me and I and I enjoy being that way I think that it's fun to find all this technology and computers and all these things fascinating so these are the type of people in the industry uh, a, a stark contrast to when I was working in a recycling gyp rock factory back when I was 18 or 19 and everybody was kind of like talking about banging the old lady and you know uh <laughs> wheeler on over here yeah yeah exactly it was it was they're, they're all good people too i'm sure but um but yeah it's a really cool industry so if young people or or even older people want to get involved then i'm happy to help them that's awesome that's that's a great plug there yeah it's it's really cool and you're still by the way like by a factor of 200 the coolest person we've had on compared oh, to of all our guests That's so yeah. um wait our guests may be wow listening. i think some of those guests listen slap in the face I hope they're not listening. <laughs> okay. throwing down the gauntlet Apo- apologies to drag on who is a guest who got drunk on air so <laughs> well that's uh yeah thank you very much for joining um the uh, 3D modeling segment was great. Uh, all those links will be in the show notes. I will do my damnedest to find that V-Rex walk cycle. So will I. And yeah, uh, put it in the show notes for the episode. But our end of show stuff, uh, you can find uh, the show notes on our website, ttpopcast.com. Uh, all of our social medias are uh, on Facebook, ttpopcast on Instagram. I'm on Twitter at Leland underscore Steel. And, geez, what else, what else is on that site? Some... Old written content, which we keep saying we're going to add more to and never do. (laughs) One one of these days, listener. That's about it. I've been Leland Steele. I've been Moby. And I've been Aaron. Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye.